Scripture teaches us um, that through the power of Jesus Christ, we are actually more than conquerors. Do you believe that? Do you believe with your position and your identity in Jesus Christ that you are more than a conqueror, that you are an overcomer? Do you believe that? It is my prayer that you do, and if you don't, it is my prayer that as we journey over these next four weeks that you will recognize and understand that you are more than a conqueror. And we are starting this four-part series talking just about that, talking about how we can overcome some of the struggles that so often entangle our lives. It could be struggles with fear. It could be struggles with insecurities. It could be struggles with apathy. It could be struggles of discouragement. It could be a lot of different things. But as we read God's word, we are told over and over again that because we are in Christ, we don't have to allow these things to define who we are. We don't have to allow these struggles to hold us back to what God has called us to be in our life. Before we get started, I want to just give you a very small preview for next week. I'm looking forward to what next week will bring. Because next week, we're going to be looking at a struggle that I think is ever-present in our world and in our generation. And we're going to talk about overcoming being a conqueror of apathy. In fact, so many people have said that this is the apathetic generation. Or they, will, or they will say it differently that there is an epidemic of apathy in our world here today. So next week, I promise you, God's word, word will spark a fire of passion in so many hearts. And I hope that you join us. hope that you invite people to join you, whether it's you watching or you coming on a Sunday morning, because it's going to make a difference in so many of our lives. So we're going to be talking about overcoming apathy next week. But today, as we start this new journey, where I want to start this journey is I want to talk about us overcoming. I want to talk about us conquering something that quite honestly, I think is, is probably one of the biggest work that God has been doing in my life and still is doing in my life. Today, I want us to talk about overcoming and conquering the curse of comparisons, of comparisons. Chances are pretty good that at some point in your life, you have found yourself satisfied, right? Until when? Until you look to your left or you look to your right. And someone else has something a little bit better than you, right? That you just got this new car, then you look and your friend has a newer car, right? Or you look and you say, you know, I just bought this new house. And then you look at a friend or a family member and they say, my house has one more bedroom and one more bathroom than yours, right? We're satisfied, we're excited, then we look and then we find someone else has something a little bit better than we do. And I'll say it this way as we start off this series, we start off this week. I'll say this, the fastest way, the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. Do you get that? 
The fastest way to kill something special in your life is to actually compare it to something else. If you're taking notes, write this down. Where comparison begins, contentment ends. Did you get that? Where comparisons begin, that's where contentment ends. Can you relate to that? That after you compare an accomplishment, a blessing, something, and you compare it, and then all of a sudden, your contentment, your joy over that, it's gone, isn't it? It's never been more easier to compare in the history of the world. Thank you, social media, right? You can be having a really good day. And then you go on social media and see that everyone else is having fun. And then you start to think, wait, why wasn't I invited? Why, why can't I have fun like that? It's so easy these days to lose contentment when you start to compare. And what we're doing is we're comparing our behind the scenes with everybody else's highlight reels. That's what we see on social media. It's not real life. It's highlight reels where we're able to show a very, very brief moment of a highlight. And then, and then people start to think, well, that's how they live their life. Look at the vacations they go on. They must be able to do that all the time. Look at the place, look at the things that they have or the places they're able to eat out at. This must be their life where in reality it might, they might do something like that once a year. But we find ourselves, we're comparing our behind the scenes with everybody else's highlight reels. And before long we find ourselves really miserable, right? Because wherever comparison begins, that's where our contentment ends. The two do not coexist together. You cannot compare and be happy at the same time. It doesn't happen. It's one or the other. Either you're going to be happy, which means you're not comparing things with everything, or you're going to be miserable because you're comparing everything. And I want to dive in and look at a few different scriptures today, and I really believe and I pray that God's going to work in hearts in a very powerful way here today. Where I want to start is I want to start in 2 Corinthians. And we're going to be jumping off in a few different scriptures um, today. So if you're ready to follow along, then great. Um, I'm going to start with Paul in 2 Corinthians, where he was saying we don't dare compare ourselves with other people. He says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, it says, But they are only comparing themselves with each other using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant, he says. How ignorant, he says. How ignorant it is for us to say, well, well look how their kids act all the time. Um, man, I love how much, how much more money he's getting paid than me. Look at their relationship. Look how happy they seem to be. And you look at these things and you start thinking, you're looking at things that, that you don't have, that you think other people do. 
how ignorant, Paul says, it is to find yourself comparing. In fact, one of the problems of comparing is actually it does two things when we compare. It does actually two things when we do this. Comparing makes you feel either superior, right? You're comparing yourself and you're finding people to compare yourself to that are a little bit lower than you, than you in your mind. And as you compare, you are feeling superior of what you have or what you've been blessed with or or, or things like that, or when you compare, it makes you inferior, right? One of two things. Either we find people to compare ourselves to that we know have less than us, or we do it the complete opposite. We compare ourselves and our lives to other people that we think are better than us or have a better life than us. But here's the reality. When we do that, neither of those things honors God. Neither of them honors God. When you compare, you're either going to feel superior or inferior, and neither of those honors God. What I want to do today is dive in and really be transparent about how this impacts me. And let God's word really hopefully speak to all of us. I want to look at a portion of scripture that to me is is not only incredibly powerful, but it's kind of hilarious, to be honest. See, whenever you read the Bible and you recognize that you know we're reading about very real people that are just like us, that have very real struggles, it actually at times can be kind of entertaining, right? It can be kind of somewhat funny at times. So I want to show you in John chapter 20 about a very little conflict that was going on. It's going on between actually two of the disciples, Peter and John. I have heard opinions from other people that Peter and John actually didn't like each other at all. See, I see it a little bit differently. I don't think it it was that far that they didn't like each other. The way I see their relationship as I read it in the Gospels is I I see it more of this like competitive relationship that the two of them had, right? They were always trying to one-up the other, right? It seemed they were always competing with each other, whether it was Jesus' attention, Jesus' focus, or being better, or being more upfront, or, or, or whatever it was, right? You, we would see things like this going on between them. Well, well, I got to be near Jesus, and you were way down there. I was closest to him. Where, what were you doing? Who's his favorite, right? Things like that. We see the two of them going back and forth, right? And John, in my opinion, probably, if you met him, he was probably annoying, to be honest. Let me tell you why. If I was Peter, I would probably, I probably wouldn't like John because when John writes, he refers to himself in the third person. That's annoying, Right? That's annoying. If you refer to yourself in the third person, it's just annoying. So not only does John refer to himself in the third person, but do you know what he calls himself as he writes? He calls himself the one that Jesus loved, right? The beloved disciple, the one that Jesus loved. So evidently, my opinion... I think there's some competition going on here, right? Peter's comparing to John. John's comparing to Peter. And it's really not doing any of them any good. 
context of John, of John 20, three days after Jesus has died. He was supposed to be in the tomb. But when Mary got there, that stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty, right? And Mary went, what did she do? She went running to the disciples. And here's how the story goes. When I read this, I want you to notice how many times the Apostle John tells you who is faster in a foot race between him and Peter. Remember, tomb is empty, Christ is risen, and John is excited and more concerned that he's faster than Peter. Verse chapter 20, starting in verse 2. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, remember, who's the other disciple? That's John. He outran Peter. There's number one. He's already saying, I'm faster than Peter. And he reached the tomb first. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, again referring who was faster, and went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. Three different times you find that, you know, you know Christ has risen, but John is like, well, I'm faster. Well, Christ has risen, but I'm faster. I got there first, right? That was what he was writing in this. And when you read on, this continues on into chapter 21 as well, you know? And I could see how the story probably came. I could see Mary kind of being there, and she's telling the story, and kind of John's there. She's telling it to Peter, and, you know, he's here, and the tomb is empty. I could see Peter, John starting to go like that to get that head start, right? But it continues on. And it continues on in verse 23, in, in chapter 21. And, and in that chapter, they are, the disciples are actually out fishing. Um, and they're not catching anything. And then this guy who's on the beach, who's walking on the beach, and it was, this guy is Jesus, says to them, yells out to them, throw your nets on the other side. And they do. And then what happens, right? Well, they catch all that fish. But John says, I recognized him first. I knew that was Jesus. I'm the one that recognized him first. And then we know that Peter jumped out of the boat and and swam to shore. Um, Then what happens next is where the power of the story really is. See, Peter has this very powerful encounter with Jesus. You have to understand the backstory here to understand the power behind it. Before the crucifixion, remember, Peter was very bold in his love for Jesus. He told Jesus, I love you. I don't know about these other guys, but I will always love you. I will always be faithful to you. I'm not so sure about these other guys, but I will always be faithful. I've always got your back. I will never leave you. I'm going to stand with you and by you, whatever goes on. You can count on me. He was bold even implying that the other guys will probably deny you, Jesus, but I won't. I'm going to be there with you. And we know, we know 
that Peter denied Jesus three different times. And we also see, and we also know in Scripture, that it tells us that Jesus looks on and he sees and he hears Peter deny Jesus. Peter sees that. And we know that Peter's crushed. He's devastated. He's probably even feeling humiliated as well. Now Jesus is risen, and Peter's encountering Jesus again, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I do, Lord. And then Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I do, Lord. And each time Jesus replies to Peter, then feed my sheep. And then that last third time, um, the Greek emphasis on that is, Peter, do you really love me? And Peter's probably getting a little bit frustrated. He's like, Jesus, of course I love you. You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. And that's where we pick up the story in John 21. Starting in verse 20, this is what we read. Peter turned, and he saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? What about him? See, he's walking, and he looks behind him. And he says, what about him? And Jesus told him, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? I'm talking to you right now. Your assignment, what I'm telling is, you follow me. Now, here we find Peter's really trying to deflect and get John in on the conversation so that the attention is taken off on him and it could be put on John a little bit. But Jesus is like, no, Peter, I'm talking to you right now. Your assignment, follow me. Your lane, feed my sheep. Stick in that. This is what I want you to do. Don't worry about him. Do what I've called you to do. Your assignment, Peter, is to feed my sheep. And we have to understand that we cannot faithfully follow Jesus if we are always comparing ourselves to somebody else. We can never be who he has fully created us to be and called us to be if we're always looking over our shoulder saying, what about them? What about them, God? You know, they don't seem to be coming to church as much as I do. What about them? God, they're not giving, they're, they're not giving more than me. What, what about them? God, God I'm, I'm here at the church and I'm involved all the time. What, what about them? They're not. It's this curse of comparison, right? We can never fall, fully follow Jesus if we're always comparing ourselves to somebody else. Why is it that we do this? Well, it's pretty kind of simple. We, because by nature, we are sinful human beings. We're sinful. Our sin nature takes us away from the very heart of God. See, what we try to do in our lives is that we try to find some of these external wins to satisfy an internal longing. And let me tell you, there is no external accomplishment Blessing, possession, relationship, job. There's no external satisfaction that, that ever will quench that inner spiritual longing that we all have. There is nothing out 
side, on the outside, designed by God to satisfy you on the inside, besides the God who created you. This is why it's ignorant. This is why it's stupid. This is why it's useless. This is why it's a, a waste of time. This is why it's destructive. It's why it's hurtful. There is no external win that will ever satisfy your internal longing that you have. But yet, we keep looking for it, don't we? And it's these external things that we think about. Am I worthy? Am I worthy? You know, it's these questions that we ask. You know, tell me, did I do good enough? Do, do, I, do I belong? Do I belong? Do I have popularity? Do I fit in? Do you think I live up to your expectations? Was I what? Was I what you wanted me to be? See, there's never an external answer that ever will satisfy and meet the internal need. And that's why we have to answer this very important next question. And we have to get it right. There is a right and there is a wrong answer. We have to get this question right or we will be miserable. We will feel dissatisfied. And here's the question. Who or what is going to define my worth? Who or what is going to define my worth? Because if I could get up in your business a little bit right now, some of you are living for a dad who's no longer living. Some of you, are, you're living for a mom who will never give you what you want. You're living for a relationship. You're living for friends. You're living for a job. Who or what is going to bring meaning and to find your worth in this life. If you're a follower of Christ here today, you can probably guess where I'm going to go with this. The answer is obvious, but it's also powerful, and it's important. If your answer is anything besides Jesus Christ, you are running a race that you will never win. If your answer to that question, who or what will define my worth, if it's anything else besides Jesus Christ that I'm telling you today, right now, you are currently running a race you will never win. That's why I love Hebrews chapter 12. And this is what the writer says in the first couple of verses here. Let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for who? For us. The race marked out for you. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, we run the race. We run the race that is marked out for us. And we keep our eyes focused on Jesus. If you've ever been a runner, and I've competed in track when I was younger... And I was a sprinter. And the thing is, you, you had to stay in your lane, right? This race of 100 meters or 200 meters that I would run, 
Each of us would be assigned a lane. And we were told, you need to stay in your lane. If you leave your lane, you will get disqualified. And as a sprinter and as a runner, where are you looking? I can tell you this. If you're running like this and you're looking to your left and you're kind of looking behind you, guess what's going to happen? You're not going to run that race well. You, you run and you just keep your eyes fixed right ahead, right at that finish line. And you keep running and you, and you don't stop until you cross that finish line. That is what we're being told here. You have a race that's been marked out for you. You have been assigned a lane. Peter's lane was feed my sheep. I don't know what your lane is. I don't know what your race is. I don't know what that is. But God is saying, this is your lane, and you need to stay in it, and you need to focus on me. Don't take your eyes off me. Don't look to the left and see what they're doing or not doing. Don't, don't look to the right and see what they're doing or not doing. Don't look behind you to see how faster or how, how far ahead you are of everyone else. That's not what I'm asking you to do. You need to fix your eyes on Jesus, and you keep going until it's done. We run the race. That's marked out for us. We don't look all around us to see whatever, how everyone else is running their race. You run your race, and you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9. He says this. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I run with purpose in every step. When we run our race... We are being told, you run with purpose. Every step you take, it's taken with purpose. And we can't do that if we're constantly looking around. We can't do that if we're constantly comparing ourselves. And that's been a struggle for me, of comparing, looking behind me, looking beside me. And I'm telling you, as a pastor, man, we struggle with that probably a lot more than people realize or than, than other professions. We compare all the time. And I've had to really focus on not comparing. And it has been an issue, and it, and it still is at times. I'm running my race, and we're doing great at First Baptist. And I kind of look to the left, and I say, oh, look, that church... It's growing. Well, I wonder what they're doing that we're not doing. They're growing. We're not. Maybe we should just do what they're doing. And we'll see growth. Well, I'm running my race. And I look off to the side and look behind me. And I, and I see, oh, man, look. They have a vibrant youth and children's ministry. Well, what, how do they do that? What can we do to copy that so we can have that in our church and we could do that? And then I get back running the race. And then you kind of look behind you again. And you're like, whoa, that church seems to be attracting and keeping younger people or young families. Well, what are they doing that we aren't doing? And maybe we need to copy that and do what they're doing so we can do the same thing here. Comparison is all over the church. We're always constantly comparing. Always. 
Why are they bigger? Why, why, do they have, why are they better in a financial situation than we are? Why do they have so many youth and so many kids? Why do they now have to do two or three services? And we struggle to do one. And as a pastor, I've done that a lot. Where I'm like, well, what are they doing that we aren't doing? Maybe we need to do that here at First Baptist. And maybe if we can do that here at First Baptist, we'll see the same results as them. But what I kept on remembering is this, these passages. I need to run the race that's been marked out for me. We need to run the race that's been marked out for First Baptist. And we need to know our lane and stay in our lane. And we need to run every, and take every step with purpose here at First Baptist. God has called us to minister to people in Port Alberni, but it's going to be a different lane than other churches. It's going to be different than community life. It's going to be different than Elam. It's going to be different than Gateway. We have a lane. And I've been really trying to keep focus of, okay, God, I know this is our lane, and this is the race. And we have to be okay with that. Because we know you're going to bless us. And you're going to be faithful to us. And I've had to learn. And at times I need to refocus. And I have to remind myself. When I start, when I'm running and I kind of glance to the side or behind me. I have to remind myself of my lane. My lane as a pastor. And who God has called me as a pastor. Because it's different than the other pastors here in town. A reminder of my lane as our lane at First Baptist. And it's it's a reminder that we just need to take every single step with purpose. It's my race. It's not other people's races. It's our race. It's not the other church's races that we're running. It's our race. And we need to be focused on that. And just keep on going with what God has given us. Because as we compare, that's when we start being dissatisfied. That's when we start being discouraged. Where we, where, and, and I've been there as a pastor where I said, why are they growing, God, and we're not? We're an awesome church. Why, can, why can't you bring more people here? We can have a bigger impact. And I get discouraged because we, we're not growing like maybe some other churches. Why is that? Because I'm comparing. And remember what I said at the very beginning. When comparison begins, contentment ends. We can't have a satisfied ministry if we're constantly looking over our shoulders and seeing what everyone else is doing and then trying to do it or comparing ourselves and just be able to, to stand and sit and wallow in our pity. When we start comparing... We lose out. We lose out. It's my race. And all, when we, and all of this, when we, kind of, when we do this, whether it's individually as a church, where we're just constantly looking behind us, all it does is it, it creates dissatisfaction. And it takes my eye off the true price, which is not more bums in seat, more baptisms and and a bigger bank account. That's not the prize. The prize is that we, we were true to the calling that God placed us on, that we have a desire to make sure we connect as many people to Jesus Christ as possible and allow his 
powerful transformation, redeeming spirit and power to change them. And we just continue to point them to Jesus so they can experience that work and that power in their life. See, I can't win other people's races, but I can run my race. You can't win anyone else's race, but you can win your race. But that also doesn't mean we don't celebrate other people's wins, right? And we have to. And that's something that I've really done as an individual and as a pastor. And it's something that the other pastors, we've adopted, you know, to try to keep us comparing and feeling that dissatisfaction. Instead, we celebrate each other. We celebrate everyone else's wins. We pray that God will bless them before he blesses us. That we celebrate what they're doing. Because God is using them in their race and in their lane and they're impacting the kingdom. That's why you see uh, most of us pastors encouraged and celebrating the feats and the blessings of other churches and not being jealous And not comparing, oh, God, how come you gave them that and we don't have that? We we can't focus on other people's races and win their races, but we can celebrate when they do. And that will bring great joy into your life as you're able to celebrate other people, other people's accomplishments, other people's blessings, other people's winning of their race. I don't know what your race is. But you need to run your race and trust God to be faithful to you. Because here's the reality. Nobody can beat you at being you. No one can do that. You need to have purpose in every single step you take. Not looking to the side, but your eyes are on Christ, running toward that prize. Why? Because there's no win in comparison. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. What does comparison do? It either makes you feel superior or makes you feel inferior. And here's the thing. Neither of those honor God. You cannot win anyone else's race. So what do you do? You wake up every single day with your eyes on Christ. And you answer that question, who or what will define my worth? today and we need to answer that every single day jesus will define my worth this is who created this is who he created me to be and this is the race he has called me to run and i'm going to run it and i'm going to run it with every single step that is full of purpose run your race run with perseverance and run with purpose in every step that you take and when you do You will not receive an earthly crown that passes away. But instead, you will receive a heavenly crown that will never, ever fade away. And that is winning your race. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us to this race. You've called us to run this race with perseverance. You've called us to run this race with with purpose in every single step that we take and to keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, I pray that you will help us to overcome and be a conqueror of this curse of comparison. 
of comparing ourselves with everybody else by looking all around, and that doesn't do us any good. Instead, it brings us dissatisfaction. It brings us um, unworthiness. It makes us miserable. But Lord, the things that will keep, give us joy and contentment is keep our eyes fixed on you, running the race that you called us to run. And I pray we do that. Help us to, to continue daily being a conqueror over comparison. Because we want to be faithful to you and what you called us to be as individuals and as a church. Help us to continue to run our race, to stay in our lane, and to run it with perseverance and purpose. We pray this in your name. Amen.